Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message. Welcome, my listening friends, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. You are now tuned in to a weekly radio broadcast that serves the North Mississippi area, proclaiming the gospel of grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm Joe Nettles. I welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise as well. We pastor Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church. Both churches meet at 1030 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we want to see you come through the door. Visit our website, gospel-of-grace.com. And we thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll make it a happy habit. Today, we're going to continue on with a series of messages regarding the good confession of our Lord Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. The name of the series is A Good Confession. And right after this hymn, we'll be back with today's message. Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. And again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm turned in my King James Translation Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. In my time here on the radio broadcast, I've been trying to bring for you a series of messages regarding the good confession of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is from 1 Timothy chapter 6. We read in verse 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God 
who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Now, the purpose of this series of messages is that if I'm told in the Word of God, which is inerrant and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that Jesus Christ witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate, then I certainly want to be able to do the same. I love my Lord Jesus Christ. I love his cause. I love his kingdom. And therefore, I want to give a good confession. One thing we tried to deal with in previous messages was that Jesus Christ did not deny who he was. And we, in like turn, as disciples of Jesus Christ, should never deny who we are and to whom we belong. Next, we also dealt how Jesus Christ spoke of his kingdom as a spiritual kingdom, and that we need to understand that we worship the Lord in a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual realm that cannot be seen by purely carnal and material entities. Uh, this is something that must be communicated unto you within your heart and in your soul through the new birth, the communication of God unto you. We also spoke that how Jesus Christ was no earthly king. And in the installment just before today, we dealt with how we should have no confidence in governments and principalities and powers of this world. But no, we can have all confidence in the providential care of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because there is no power that wields itself in this world that he not, does not have ultimate dominion and control over. He can wield it as he wills or he can overcome it for good. Now today in this closing message on the series of messages regarding the good confession of Jesus Christ, I go to Matthew chapter 27 and read verses 12 through 14. And here's Jesus. This is the context. Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Today I would like to speak about one of the most powerful parts of the confession of Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. And that was his strong, solemn silence in the face of false accusations, the ragings of men, the vanity of governments that would dare try to hold him in tow. He just did not answer a word. He suffered silently. He took those things that were being cast upon him in grace and in great strength, knowing that he had all confidence in the Father, his Father, and in the work that he came to do for the elect of God. There's a quote by an author named Morgan Richard Olivier, and she states, Sometimes the greatest test is how you quietly handle those who so boldly mishandled you. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Here they had dragged him from pillar to post during the night, ridiculed him, smitten him, uh, humiliated him, according to them. All of this was part of the process in Jesus Christ paying the sin debt for his people. Christ is the great example. And even though all of these lowly, filthy people were making false accusations against he that is the embodiment of truth. They were lying against him. They were in their spiritual blindness, making accusations against him. 
Uh, and he just took it with strong, solemn silence. And it made a great impression. In fact, this is the only part of the confession of Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate, where it was said that Pontius marveled greatly. It was amazing to Pontius Pilate that Jesus Christ could endure such accusations, calumnies, and the filthy spite of men being cast against him and do it with such grace. Yes, truly, Christ is our great example. This is alluded to in Isaiah chapter 53, this wonderful prophetic chapter regarding the suffering servant, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We'll read in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that says so much said he is despised and rejected of men, that very entity, mankind, which he created of his own divine power. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Oh, this God of gods, this Lord of lords who came into this earth was a man who dealt with sorrow, and he was well acquainted with the griefs of men for whom he came to represent. And notice the response that natural man will always have toward him. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He embarrassed us. He cramped our style. He's not someone that we dare would want to be associated with. That is in our original fallen natures, mind you. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Imagine a cockroach not giving esteem to the most intelligent man on the face of the earth. Well, that's nothing in condescension and disparity compared to mankind not giving esteem unto the God of glory. He says, surely he hath borne our griefs. Our griefs are resultant of our sin and our filthy natures. He carried our sorrows. Our sorrows, my friends, that are resultant from our ridiculous, fallen, sinful being. Yet we did esteem him stricken. We weren't thankful. We didn't see God as God. We didn't esteem him as God. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded, not for anything he had done. He did this for us. The same people that in their original natures would never have had him, never have loved him, and never have owned him. But yet he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our notice, our peace, was upon him. God didn't chastise his son, Jesus Christ, to not bring peace. No, he brought peace with his elect, a people of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. And with his stripes, we are healed. This is spoken of as past tense, already having happened. Even in the day in Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Yes, my friends, in the mind and purpose of a covenant-keeping God, it was as well as done. Now, someone will say, well, this is just describing people who would never have him, who would never love him, who would never own him. Some people think that God, before the world began, looked down through time and saw all of the portion of humankind that would 
straighten up and fly right, that they would get right with the Lord and they would decide to serve him and love him. And it was based upon that, that he predestined the people to uh, an election. He, uh, uh, they were going to be saved through the blood and the representation of Jesus Christ. My friends, this is this is just totally diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches us about salvation. Because notice verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice in what state the Lord perceived us when he willingly hung on the tree of the cross and received all of the violence and all of the heartache and the grief and the soul-rending terror that was laid upon him at the cross by the hands of his own loving father. He didn't see us as good little boys and girls. He saw us as sheep going astray, all going unto their own way. And I can tell you that way is diametrically opposed to the ways of Christ. But yet, he laid on Christ in that state and with that perception of the elect of God in his mind and heart, he took away their sins by being made to be sin who knew no sin. Oh, what a great Lord we serve. He was oppressed, verse seven, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Wow. Now that's just astounding, especially someone who likes to jabberwocky on like I do. All of this was taking place against one who was totally innocent and totally pure in all of his ways, but yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. If you see sheep, go to YouTube and see sheep being shorn as they're brought to the ground by their masters, they make not a sound. It's almost as if they're paralyzed, that they give no resistance. And my friends, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Notice this was so powerful that when we see the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, reading from Isaiah chapter 53, uh, when Philip uh, was brought unto that Gaza road and was met up with him. We'll start reading in Acts chapter eight, verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and saith, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Uh, as a little side note, that is the very, uh, that is the very mission statement, as it were, of the gospel minister. We want to be able to guide people to a better understanding of Jesus Christ. Now, back to verse 32, it said, the place of the scripture which he read was this. Notice where this Ethiopian eunuch was reading, where he was captivated by this description of this one. It said, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. You see, this Ethiopian eunuch, even though he was in great ignorance, he was captivated by the one who would take all of these sufferings upon himself and would fulfill them. But yet in his humiliation, where the judgment was taken away from those whom he represented, he was like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb dumb before his shear. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus suffered, my friends, in great grace and strength. 
I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, disciples of Jesus Christ today, believers in Jesus Christ, that silent strength moves the hearts of men more than any oratory or well-written tract. Uh, you can see a very practical example of this when you look back at the early history of our great state, the state of Mississippi. You go back to 1963 at Woolworth's lunch counter in Jackson, Mississippi. There was a protest that was begun that day. And there were students, Memphis Norman, one named Ann Moody. She would go on to write a very well-known uh, writing, uh, uh, autobiography uh, called Coming of Age in Mississippi, Ann Moody. Perlina Lewis and Joan Trumpower Mulholland, along with one of the professors of Tougaloo College, Professor John Salter. And they sat at the lunch counter of the Woolworths in Jackson, Mississippi, back during the days of segregation, when black people were not allowed to eat in the same place as white people. Now, they did this, my friends, and for three hours, they were buffeted by fists, by ketchup and mustard bottles, by salt shakers and sugar dispensers, uh, cracked over their heads. They had uh, coffee, sodas, uh, all manner of syrups and things poured on their head in a great humiliating way, but they didn't open their mouth. They did not uh, fight back. No, they wanted to make a stand. They wanted to show that they had every right to be there with their black brothers and sisters and to be able to serve, be served and to be treated like human beings on equal footing with any other human being endowed with inalienable human rights by their creator. And they suffered great things. Boy, Memphis Norman, was kicked in the head. His skull was fractured uh, during this time, but yet he didn't open his mouth. Why? Because my friends, they were behaving as Jesus Christ. They knew that uh, no action, no violence, no bomb being set off could move the hearts of men like this wonderful silent strength in the face of great suffering. And the very next year, 1964, many people so moved by this and other protests in like manner, friends, seeing this Seeing this wonderful, strong solemnity, this solitude in the face of great persecution, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed. Friends, if this is effective regarding civil rights, how much more in regards to our Christian witness? Brother Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read verses 12 through 13, wrote this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So here he's describing something, friends, where you're through your suffering, there's going to be great joy, exceeding joy, like the glory of the Lord when he returns at the last day. Notice 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, the conversation meaning the manner of life. Now, what is this manner of life, this manner of behavior by the wives that is so powerful that it could move to salvation their husbands? It says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Oh, those things are pretty in their context, but there's nothing as beautiful as what he describes in verse four. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a, notice this, 
Notice he was about to tell you something that in the sight of God is of great price. It doesn't matter what Wall Street thinks, Dow Jones Industrial, or any banker thinks about this. In the sight of God, it is of great price great price, great value. He said, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Oh, I pray, Lord, that you would give me and all believers in you today a meek and a quiet spirit in an age of filth and of screaming and of malice and of antipathy. You're suffering in silence, my friends, and your calm, however, does not mean uh, that it's not noticed, Okay. It will be noticed. It'll be noticed by fellow believers and most importantly, by the Lord. Don't think it's in vain. People are seeing how you suffer and that you're doing it with grace and trust and faith in the Lord. Notice in Psalm 35, I'm gonna read verses 17 through 28. Here the psalmist David describes, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Notice here, in the very beginning of this, he is giving credence and value to congregational worship. He said, let not them that are mine enemies wrongly rejoice, wrongfully rejoice over me. Uh, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. So what's being described here? His enemies are ridiculing him, plotting against him, despitefully using him. But notice verse 22 after he describes all of this and how they think they're getting away with it and they think that they've come out on top against this meek and quiet believer of the Jehovah God. Notice verse 22, this thou hast seen, O Lord. Oh, I'll tell you, if nobody else sees it, friends, that you've got a brother, you've got a king, you've got a loved one, you've got a priest after the order of Melchizedek who sees all. And I guarantee you, my friends, the promise of God's word is this thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence, O Lord. Be not far from me. Stir up thyself. I love that language. Oh, the Lord of God. I'll tell you, if I wanted anyone to stir up themselves, if it caused great fear, if it would strike my heart with fear that know that someone uh, for the cause of one of whom I was against was stirred up, I wouldn't want the God of glory stirred up. And here David cries, stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God. And my Lord, you see, God will always see you and he will stir himself up for your cause. Verse 24, judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, so would we have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. So here he is willing to suffer and he's also willing to just commit that judgment in the hands of God who is able to stir himself up for his cause. But then notice also there are other people who are noticing this, other people who need to see this strength, the silent suffering. Verse 27 Notice this, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. 
Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. See, in that text, it tells you not only will God see these things and will reward you, but also, my friends, others will behold how the Lord is holding you up and strengthening you through this, and they will be edified and they will rejoice. Friends, that's what we need to be for each other. We need to be strong. We don't need to get sucked up into the mean and spiteful ways of the world, but we need to love our neighbors. Friends, don't forsake the greatest power in you. That power is waiting on the Lord's timing and deliverance. Oh, don't get caught up in the ways and the means of the world. Friends, I'm here to tell you, we believe that every little thing that happens to us, we should get on social media or uh, we should uh, get in the lounge at work or uh, we should get into a screaming fit with our spouse or our loved ones because we have not felt fulfilled. We feel like someone has spoken out against us. Someone has done me wrong. How dare they? I'm not getting the respect that I deserve. I'm not getting the promotion at work. I'm not getting paid as much as Sally Sue in the cubicle next door. Friends, I'll tell you, you just turn your perspective around and say, Sally Sue, I'm so thankful to God that he's blessed you in the way that he has. Be thankful for Sally Sue and the blessing that she has. Sally Sue getting that raise hasn't taken one dime out of your pocket. And friends, when men will speak all manner of ill against you and persecute you, Look at the perspective of the word of God. It tells you to rejoice in the Lord. That means you're a disciple of Christ and you're living in such a way that they'll be willing to trample all over you. But suffering it in the name of Jesus Christ, my friends, it gives you a like experience. Oh, it can't be just like the God man, Jesus Christ. But in your aligning your little sufferings in this life and treating them and addressing them and handling them with grace and silence, suffering and and with just love in return for evil. Doesn't it make you feel like you're just behaving like your Lord and Savior whom you love so greatly? Oh, friends, it made Pontius Pilate marvel. It makes me marvel. And I pray every day that I'll have more strength to suffer silently with great grace. Oh, that doesn't mean I shouldn't tell people about my belief and trust in the Lord, that I have faith in the Lord, that I believe the Lord will requite me all of these evils that will come against me. Yes, the word of God promises that that will be so. But friends, we shouldn't rise up in our ire and our wrath and behave like the world. Help us, Lord, to be good and faithful disciples and to give a good confession, not only by what we say, but in those things in which we say nothing, but we handle with grace those ways of people which are poured upon us that so abuse us greatly. Until we're able to speak with you again on these things, may the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your area. 
visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under podcasts with the title, The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist Radio Broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 and tune in next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.